The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Officially Unofficial. I'm your host, Johnny Junta, the former face of junior college baseball, the fall American. We're joined with a very special guest. The 2022 Big Ten Coach of the Year is that good. Big Ten champion, the head coach of the University of Maryland, Rob Vaughn. What is up, coach? How are we doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Ready to get the boys back. We start start up tomorrow. So, man, I've had a good break, but now I'm, I'm, I'm antsy, man. Ready to get going. Yeah, no, listen, man. I mean, obviously coming back off a season like that, you'd love to see it. But I got to ask you this. Everywhere you go now around Maryland, do people call you coach? Like, where does that stand now? Because I know in the U.S., like Canada, that stuff doesn't happen. But the biggest reality check I got in the U.S. where I was like, whoa, was if you're a coach in a city, they just call you coach. Like, they just they oh, yeah. don't refer to you by your actual name. Oh, shoot. I remember the first time that ever happened to me. I was at K-State. I just started coaching. I was a volunteer. I'm at first base. And first base from Oklahoma runs out. And he says, hey, coach, how you doing? I didn't even respond. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not. I don't even know who he's talking. I'm like looking around. And he's. I'm like, oh, crap. That's me now. All right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's funny, man. When you, you have a good year, but it gets excited. I live about 30 miles from campus. So we got a little bit of a little bit of a dividing line. But it's weird, man. The better the better your boys play, the the more people that seem to call you that around town so it's, i can it's hopefully it. keep building it you i can know, respect yeah. it and i want to go into i mean so obviously you won big 10 coach of the year last year and you're i'm assuming yeah your style is kind of more like the new age coaching style and stuff like that and this is a trust circle between me and you here when you won sure. big 10 coach of the year when you won the big 10 championship did you kind of been like all right i'm kind of that guy like i'm not, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a dog like i really like uh, listen I, i'm like i'm, I'm a still I mean, you're still in your early stages of coaches and you already won big 10 of the year did that little bit like did that little cockiness come a little bit come a little bit more after that or what? Like how how did you feel after getting that? I tell you what, man. I had a I had a guy when I first started coaching Matt Diggs. He always told me he said, "Rob, there's two types of people: those who are humble and those who are about to be." That was his thing. So, <laughs> so you know, it's it was awesome, man. What a, what a thrill! Like any coach says this, and it sounds like the most cliche thing ever, but. You know, when you have guys like Chris Aileen and Matt Shaw and Luke Schliger and, and Jason Savickle, th- those guys are the ones that win that, man. I, I said my biggest job last year was writing the lineup card, posting it in the dugout, and then I went and hung out in the dugout for about nine innings until the game was over. That's about how 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 good the leadership was of that crew last year. So that was a heck of a ride. 
Yeah, and I got to ask you this because I'm a Juco bandit, obviously. And I look and I'll be honest with you. I look at a lot of these D1 guys and like they kind of talk like they have it hard with stuff they do. They, I'll be honest with you. The kids on your team, I don't know how hard of a coach you are, how hard you work them like with running and stuff like that. They have no goddamn clue what people, what the Juco guys are dealing with. So is that go into your recruiting? Like, do you, are you heavily recruited with Juco guys? Cause they are like, literal boys that turn into men in junior college no no time limit on practices nothing no question i mean i grew up in texas so man texas junior college baseball is is serious and then you know (laughs) i spent year i spent a few years out in kansas same thing like junior college baseball out there is just it's good man so you know we do you know one of our best arms coming in this year tommy kane is a junior college kid i mean it's from the left side. It's 94-96 with a power breaking ball. Our starting first baseman, same thing. He's a, he's a Juco kid out from California. And I think you hit the nail on the head, man, that the lack of entitlement from Juco kids is what's awesome. Those kids, you don't go to junior college unless you want to work and get better at baseball. And those kids go, man, you take care of the field. You have long bus rides, eating gas station food. I mean, those are my kind of dudes. I'm, I'm still a throwback with those. Those are the people I was born and, born and bred with. So, man, I can ride with Juco guys any day. Yeah, and have you adapted to, like, the new age-style type of coaching? Because obviously in JUCO, we used to do stuff where I'm like, this doesn't get me any better in junior college. And obviously, (laughs) I saw – I obviously see stuff with, like, some of, like, the training regimens the coaches are doing where they're doing, like, completely incorrect workouts or just ranges of motions and stuff like that. And we've learned now that, like, making your guys run poles has no effect on the game of baseball or how they perform and stuff like that. How would you classify yourself and like your coaching style compared to like, I guess you could say how it used to be with like the running and the hard nose and all that type of stuff. Yeah, man. I think that's, you know, that's what we all were brought up in, right? Like when I first, when I was playing, that's what I was doing. I mean, we were, we had, we had boot camp. That was the first, the first week of school was boot camp and they were just kicking the crap out of us for a week. And, uh, and you're sitting there like, gosh, dang, this ain't helped me hit a breaking ball any better. I can tell you that. Um, and you know, when I first started coaching, it was the same thing. Shoot, I got to Maryland. I was 25. I was young and dumb, and and uh, we we used to do some crazy stuff, man. There's some stories our guys could tell you about stuff that I look back on. My gosh, I think I actually made us worse for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> but you know, look at them now. I think you, you got to recruit toughness, and I think the toughness that we want as coaches um, is very different than Navy SEAL toughness. You know, our guys yeah. aren't getting shot at. Our guys aren't doing that. It's it's can you operate when 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 the bullets are flying in a game, you know, when the game gets fast. And so I think as coaches, you just have to be more creative. It's not about, you know, beating them to a pulp physically. It's about it's about challenging them in the game. And, man, toughness on the mound. I've seen some of my toughest pitchers, some of the toughest guys that I would – I'd put on, on, on the mound to, to win a game aren't the guys that are going to win a conditioning drill. But, gosh, dang, when, when the money's on the table, those guys show up. Yeah, it's true. That's a good point. I just remember running, like, triangles and shit in junior college. Oh, yeah. Like – I'm like, man, what like what am I doing here? Like, I understand oh, if I... it's for punishment and stuff <laughs> like that, but I remember oh, we yeah. do this thing. I'm a cook uh in Nebraska, and we used to like we used to do five sets of 20 squats, which is terrible for you. That's not good for you either. And then we would do a hospital run, which was like a three-mile run after doing that. And I'm like, <laughs> I am I did am I am I in the army? Like, <laughs> this is wild, man. So that I, is... just it's wild. Like do you have any stories like that from your playing career where, cause obviously you played during like, I guess the different era of baseball sure. where that stuff was like 
kind of like not not frowned upon and stuff like that. Do you have any sure. stories of your playing career through that? Oh, goodness gracious. My last year, man, or my junior year of college, um, you know, we, we had a really talented team. We had probably five or six draft picks on that team for which coming from Kansas State, that wasn't something that was the norm. You know, we had we had never really done that. And we went through a period, and I remember uh, we show up to BYU. We're playing at BYU on a Tuesday and Wednesday, and we go out and we get beat on uh, on Tuesday and, and go out for the game. Um, or we're, shoot, we're at room check the next night. Our director of operations is walking around, and he's pissed off. He's got a scowl on his face. He walks in the room at, like, 930. Um, and the only thing he says when he walks into the room was, boys, you better eat a light breakfast tomorrow. And so nobody <laughs> had any idea what that meant. So – we show up to the field the next day at BYU in Provo, Utah, which is elevation central, you know, and we show up. Um, and since it was a midweek game, we were taking BP first, which isn't normal um, when you're the visiting team, but we're taking BP first. And so we go out, there's no screen set up on the field. So we're like, what's happening? So we go out and coach tells us in the outfit, it's like, all right, boys, line up on the warning track. We're going to start running. We had no idea what he meant. So we just start running around the warning track and you know we're paying attention it was one of those things like every time I'm passing home plate he was standing in the right field corner with the coaching staff every time you pass home plate you're like if I have to go one more time I'm gonna quit one more time I'm gonna walk out but you know we just kept running and then we see their team start coming out so we're like okay thank god we're about to get we're about to get saved here their team's coming out sure enough they were hitting in the cages that day so we just kept running through their BP. So we had 80 straight minutes of just <laughs> running around there, our starting pitcher included. And we go out in that game, and the first five innings, we played good. We were we were pissed. We were playing hard. And like you would expect, we hit an absolute wall. I mean, it was it was <laughs> game over. We hit a wall and end up losing that game too. Um, and that was the start of probably, I'm not kidding, probably about a month straight of we were up at 5.30 every morning on our field doing stuff like that game, no game didn't matter. And, oh my God. And the worst thing that happened though, my roommate who's one of my best friends goes out on Friday night. And we're playing some terrible team on Friday <laughs> night and he goes complete game shutout. And I was like, Brad, you jacked that up for all. all you had to do was land egg and this would have ended, but you threw a complete game shutout. So now we're going to keep doing this stuff. And we did it for, <laughs> Oh my gosh, it was, it was absurd. And, uh, we still laugh at to this day. Should I have a group text with a bunch of the boys I played with? And, man, we talked about those days all the time. When you're in them, man, they're the worst things ever. But, shoot, some of the stories you have on the back end just make you laugh. Have you caught yourself, like – because obviously, listen, you're coaching college kids. I couldn't imagine, like, uh, dealing with me, especially when I was at school and stuff like that because <laughs> I, I love going out and just having fun with the boys and stuff like that. Have you caught yourself on the other end of having to discipline someone and be like, man – this sucks because pro there was a high chance I probably would have done this when I was at school. <laughs> I, I have a simple rule. I said, boys, you got to be able to ring the bell. That's it. Like I played pro ball. I understood it. I remember the late nights and, and, and all that. But the bottom line is when you show up at the field at two o'clock to practice, I better not have any idea what happened the night before. And you know, there's some guys that probably do a pretty good job of that. And they stay, they, they stay out of trouble. I'm sure they have a good time, but they show up and they play hard. They do their job. And, I try to educate them that that's probably not the key to longevity in your career from a injury perspective and a performance perspective, but gosh, come ring the bell the next day. Some guys can do it. Some guys can't. Yeah. Like, listen, I obviously a lot of these guys, like what I wish I could tell some guys that I know that took it so serious that and not to be mean, but had 0% chance of playing pro baseball, but <laughs> had a good chance of playing D one is like, enjoy it. 
You know, I'm like, sure. it's four years of your life. Like, enjoy playing baseball. Enjoy, like, the college lifestyle. Obviously, balance it out. Go out and enjoy it and stuff like that. But it is, like, I mean, looking at the team you guys had last year, what do you think made you guys different? Like, d- did you notice that sense of, like, are you – because obviously you probably preach like the locker room is the most important part, like just being no close question. like that. Was that one of the closest teams you've ever had? I don't think there's any question, you know, and, and, you know, I think it starts with Chris Aileen, you know, he was our captain last year, our center fielder conference player of the year. And, you know, Bubba, Bubba really ran the show and, you know, it was one of those things where he was an unbelievable teammate off the field. And I think that's one thing that matters. You know, I think, I think the boys knowing you care about them more than just the baseball stuff from a player perspective, knowing Bubba or everybody on that team knew they could call Bubba at 3 a.m. If they needed him, that guy was going to show up. No questions asked, you know, and, and I think his mentality just kind of bled down through the team, you know, as far as how he operated, what he did. And, you know, and then I think one benefit of being in the North man is we go South and play and we got off to a good start and spent two or three weeks together, really in and out on the road. And I think when you do that, you're off to a good start you have a captain that has a great pulse of the team, both on the field and off the field. Um, and they just trusted each other a lot, man. And, and shoot, like I said, man, at the end of the day, I wrote the lineup up and, and Bubba ran that team, which was pretty awesome. That's an electric nickname, by the way, too. You never, oh, uh, you never man. screw with a guy named, but I have three rules. Don't mess with Bubba. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. You don't ever screw with a guy named Bubba and you never screw with a guy that wears cowboy boots and cowboy hats. No. That's a, that's a mistake Absolutely. that went, uh, made at, uh, McCook community college. Yep. Obviously I'm from Canada. I never seen cowboys in my life. <laughs> I just screamed, screw, I screamed F the rodeo team outside of the, uh, yeah, it's a bold move when I drove past them and I just got a, heard just boots and a knock on my, uh, dorm room door at about 3 a.m. So I know that. You heard him. You heard him tying the horses up outside and came in and got you. Uh, it was a big mistake. It was a big mistake by me. <laughs> but going into last year, I mean, so obviously I'm looking at the schedule here. When you guys swept Baylor in Baylor, first series of the year, was that when you realized, like, holy shit, this team I have is a wagon? Like, when did you realize this team was going to be, like, different and had, like, aspirations and, like, had a really good possibility of winning the Big Ten? I, I very honestly, I think it's the next weekend. You know, we went and played good at Baylor, but opening weekend is just such a it's such a crapshoot. You know, you yeah. everybody's got a little nerves. You're coming out, you got excitement, but I've seen teams that are elite that play like crap opening weekend, and I've seen bad teams play really good opening weekend. So, you know, first weekend I was like, okay, you know, good weekend. We finished. I think sweeping anybody is hard. You know that. Like, so we finished on Sunday. I'm like, all right, you know, this group's okay. But I knew staring at, staring us right in the face was Campbell, who had a big-time first-rounder on Friday night. Their Saturday guy throws 100. Um, and they're Christ. Oh, and they're tough <laughs> as nails. So I knew going into that, I'm like, gosh, we just got to find a way to win the series at Campbell. Um, and we go out, and Nick Dean, our guy, out duels Thomas Harrington, who was a first-rounder last year. We win that game one nothing or two to one, something like that. Um, and then we have Kate Cooler coming in, who's going to be a first-rounder this year. He's a guy that's – it's literally 97 to 100 as a starter, and he'll hold that for seven innings. And we go out and beat him in the front end of the doubleheader, won the second half of it. And when we swept Campbell, that's when I was like, holy cow, man, this this team just doesn't give them an inch. You know, they weren't satisfied with winning the series. They they come out and kind of just keep pummeling you until it's over. And after that Sunday or Saturday, I guess, doubleheader at Campbell, I was like, man, this we got, we got something here. Yeah, no, I mean, this schedule is just absolutely absurd. I mean, you guys played absolute wagon teams. But I asked this to Kevin Smith, and I'm I'm really good friends with Kevin Smith, and we'll we'll go into him yeah. in a little bit here. But so you guys are in the – like, obviously, you guys are in the Big Ten and obviously turning into a powerhouse there. Who's one team 
that you guys had like a little bit of a rivalry with or your players or your boys kind of got into it with them a little bit, didn't like each other? Like who was that one team? I tell you what, it's kind of changed over the years. I mean, back when I when I was an assistant, it seemed like it was Indiana. You know, Chris Lamonis, who's now the head coach down at Mississippi State, had a really tough team there. They had some tradition. They have a beautiful facility. Um, and we were kind of the the young gun renegades coming in there. We don't have the facility. We don't have any of the fancy stuff. And, um, you know, we, we wanted to knock, knock those guys out. That was our goal. We wanted to knock that team off. And so we there was some history there. And then I think once I became the head coach, it naturally kind of – very honestly turned into Michigan. You know, I think, you know, Eric Backage, former coach at Maryland, moved on to Michigan. So there was yeah. always that sense of like, hey, we wanna we wanna show you you made a mistake in leaving. And and so that was one of those teams. And I tell you what, it's really turned into Rutgers now. Steve Owens is doing a hell of a job at Rutgers as far as what he's doing there. And, you know, we recruit New Jersey heavily, so we're up there all the time. They've, you know, one of the one of our arms left a couple of years ago and transferred to there and then started against us last year. So there's that there's that rivalry that start that starts to churn a little bit with that. So, you know, those are a couple of teams I think over my last few years that we've kind of worked our way through that that I'd say is pretty pretty tight rivals. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm a Michigan man for football. I was going to be for baseball, but I told Drew Lugbauer if they can somehow get me Michigan gear for for the baseball team, or it's and or get me to throw the first pitch out at a game, I'll be a Michigan man for life. They didn't do. They didn't acknowledge me on Twitter, which the Maryland baseball team follows me on Twitter. I'm going to be a Maryland guy. I think I'm trying to like become a, full, a full-blown Maryland guy. Michigan baseball is dead to me. No disrespect, but they're dead to me. I, I, all it took was just an acknowledgement on Twitter, which Maryland did. So I'm all in on the Maryland train here. But I love that. Do you rem- So I mentioned Drew Lugbauer on Michigan. I yeah. think he was there when you were coaching, yeah, right? Yeah. I remember him, yeah. What was Lugs like? What was what was it like facing Lugs? Because that guy is a lefty bat that just absolutely mashes baseballs in the orbit. Well, and that's what it was. It was just extremely physical. That's what I remember. Like, <laughs> that was the dude, and I talk about this all the time. We call guys like him bombers. In our program, those are the bombers. Like, you start to – you're paying attention four or five hitters down the road, and you're trying to get a guy ready in the pen to come in and face Lugbauer because you know what he can do with it. <laughs> you know, so he was a guy that was scary, man. He had some thump in his bat, and he, that guy could leave the yard anytime. So, oh. yeah, he was not – he wasn't a fun one to face. He broke the double-A record Mississippi Braves for – uh most home runs he is he's going to be something for yeah. sure he's he's no, sometimes when that guy comes up you just look at the umpire and give him this one say hey let's go <laughs> send that guy down to first i want no part of that speaking about umpire i want to talk about this too so i <laughs> i love rallying the boys up and i'm a big morale guy i might be i i deserved a d1 full ride after juco just uh because i'm a big morale guy but absolutely did, have you caught yourself in a scenario where you had to get tossed had to get tossed because you knew the boys were a little bit flat that day. They needed to wake me up. Did you ever have that scenario where you had to get into an umpire's ear to fire the boys up? Oh, it's 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 definitely happened. Goodness gracious! I uh, <laughs> when I gave when they gave me the job, I was twenty nine and I was really stupid and had a lot of passion and energy. So I just like yelling at them constantly because I never met an umpire that I agree with. Um, but oh yeah, there's been some times. There, Swope always laughs. Swope coaches third base for us. I'm in the dugout and. We had a couple of years ago that there was a call at first I disagreed with. I let the guy know a little bit later. Uh, we're going into the bottom of the ninth inning. Would have won the game with this uh, with this call. And it was definitely one of the I'm going to show you who's boss. I'm going to call him out calls. <laughs> and I lost my mind. And Swope comes and, like, grabs me on the third baseline. And he goes, Rob, you had that crazy look in your eyes, so I just backed <laughs> off and let you go. And so – and we went on to win that game. So sometimes – that's the thing. It's that fine line, man. You don't want to be the 
crazy hothead, but those boys better know you have their back. I, I man, I love that stuff, man. I think that's a lost art of the game, man. I mean, I see it a lot with like the new Toronto Blue Jays manager, uh, John Schneider. He does the he'll 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 have to he'll rip into umpires to get the boys oh, fucked his, up. But it's a it's a lost his, art. Yeah, his brother's a good friend of mine, Kevin Schneider. Is a I've I've known Kevin for a long time. He's down in uh, PA Jersey area, and so I've known Kev for a long time. So this is a little brother, and he's cut from the same cloth. Oh man, I love John Schneider. Like, listen, I I I, I respect coaches that can tiptoe a fine line of being like a hard ass, but also like understanding the players coach. Cause it's a tough, it's a tough line to find because if you're, if you're celebrating with the guys after a win and stuff like that, then they're not going to maybe take you. It's it's a hard line to tiptoe. Have you caught yourself kind of going above and beyond like the hard ass coaching style where you're like, man, I got to take a step back here. Like these guys aren't, are, are they're not going to respect me. They're only going to fear me at this point. Yeah, and I think you know, I think I think very honestly, there's you you hit the nail on the head. There's just a fine line, and I think you got to be authentically yourself. I think if you're trying to fake being one or the other, the boys do right through it, and you're ineffective. And my job, more than anything, is I have really good assistant coaches that are elite at teaching the skills of the game. And man, my job is to manage personalities. My job, that's probably the biggest thing I have to do. Is I've got forty dudes in that locker room that that are young and crazy and all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of stuff. And it's my job to manage those things well and and you I think you hit the nail on the head you gotta you gotta know the time it's time to light them up a little bit you gotta know the time you gotta put your arm around them and but but I think that is a fine line that as I've you know this will be my six years as a head coach that I probably didn't walk that line great when I was 29 and 30 but over the last couple of years I feel like I'm starting to put that together a little bit yeah it's just and, and by the way you're talking about coach Backich. I it's public knowledge I saw what that dude got paid at Clemson I might have to get into coaching I mean holy <laughs> <laughs> I called him. I called him when it happened because Eric's a good buddy of mine. I called him when it happened. I was like, "Hey, Eric, what are the chances you turn that down?" He's like, "Ah, Rob, I don't think I'm turning that down." I said, "All right, well, you just let me know if you do." I mean, that's a wild. Uh, I mean, good for him. He is. I mean, you want to talk about turning a program around? I mean, made it to the College World Series, underdog team out of nowhere. It was, it was impressive stuff to see. But it, you guys are on that trajectory too. It's wild. I mean, that's what is that in my opinion i think that's what makes the big 10 so great is like there's any team that could actually do this like in the sec you obviously have like the tennessees the old miss like mississippi state lsu team and vandy obviously but in the big 10 it's literally anyone that could be like come out of nowhere and be good that year who in your opinion is like the underrated team in the big 10 going into this year that you guys are not are you're gonna have to tell your team to like not overlook or like not uh think it's an easy matchup well, very honestly, I think – I mean, I think you look at it, you're in, yeah, our, our guys are pretty good with that. You know, they, they, they're a bunch of savages, man. Those guys want to go bloody up whoever we play. They don't, they don't really look past anybody. But the team I think is going to be really good. I think, I think Rutgers is going to be really good. I mean, they're, they're pissed off because they got left out of the tournament last year, and I still don't know how they got left out of the tournament last year, winning 45 games. But get left out of, the, or out of the NCAA tournament last year, a lot of returners back, added some pieces on the mound. You know, I think on the national scene, people aren't really going to talk about it, but I think everybody in our league knows how good those guys are. They're tough. I mean, Jersey's just got tough kids. In general, they're tough kids. And Steve Owens, their coaches, man, he's a little more old school. He's a he's a tougher dude, and, and his team kind of takes on his personality. So, man, I think and nobody in the Big Ten will overlook them because we know how big they are, how good they are. But I think you start looking at nationally, you know, I think they'll be overlooked until they, they rattle some cages a little bit early. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I got a bone to pick. I mean, why is there no Canadians on your team here? What's up with that? I mean, we got a, <laughs> a, a, we got a ton of freaks. I mean, I think Michigan signed a left-handed pitcher. I don't know if it was last year or the year before uh that was from like around where i'm from and he just throws like yeah. 95 what's what's the deal here why uh, is there no canadians on your team no we we had a canadian uh our third baseman a couple years ago taylor Wright, he's a vancouver kid spent two years with he he went to this is your kind of dude this could not be more perfect for you leaves vancouver goes to junior college out in Cal, uh, in colorado and i'm talking so i go see him out there their baseball field is next to the rodeo arena what's his name I, taylor Wright. Taylor Wright. So he goes out there and I, uh, I go see him. I'm talking to his coach. I'm wanting to talk to Taylor after, you know, after they finished playing. And I talked to him. I was like, Hey, you know, talk to me about Taylor. I'm getting the rundown on him. I like what I've seen, like the video, you know, we're having this conversation. He's like, Rob, be honest, call me from the car. He's like, if you don't get through the mountain pass, the mountain goats are going to come out and you're going to be in trouble. And I'm like, where <laughs> in the hell am I? If the mountain goats are coming after me. So I got the heck out of there drove home. And I was like, man, any kid that can play where there's, Apparently, human killing mountain goats. I, I meant to recruit that kid, and he came, played for me for two years, had a great career here, played well, and um, had a really good senior year, hitting the three hole and played third base every day for us. So, um, so we've had some in the past. We just we got we we try to dominate this this mid Atlantic area, man. If we can get those kids here and stay home, we got a chance to be pretty good. Oh man, I'm telling you, man, these Canadian kids are built different. I, I I'm not, I'm gonna oh, be, I believe I'm it. I'm gonna be by. You got to see like. There's some programs here, Great Lake Canadians, uh, yeah. Ontario Blue Jays. They just, oh yeah, they face, they go, they go on fall trips and they just face yep. one schools and like compete with them. It's absurd. Yeah. It's the most absurd oh, thing yeah. I've ever seen. Well, this is why I like them, man. I, I, I'm a hockey guy. I love, I love hockey players. And you give me a hockey player that plays baseball, I'm in. And I know Canada's <laughs> got a few of those for me. Oh yeah, man, it's incredible. But I feel like, yeah, like. Michigan's starting to kind of embrace that a little bit with the Canadians. They're starting to recruit yeah. down here a little bit more and stuff yeah. like that. But uh, yeah, it's just the, it, it, the thing that sucks is though, is one, we don't like have to take SATs here. So that's something that the mm-hmm. kids have to like go out of their way to take where it's like not a part yeah. of high school and stuff like that. So a lot of kids don't do it. Cause you could just go the Juco route and not have to sure. worry about that type of stuff. So it does no make doubt. sense, but do you guys in the fall, like play Juco's or stuff like that? Or do you just kind of keep it kind of uh, in, in house in the fall? No, so we we're allowed two outside teams. So we played uh, this this past year. We played Virginia at their place, and then West Virginia at our place. So we move it around. We played we played Army a couple years ago. We played Navy last year. Um, we moved around, so we get two games outside that don't count. And you know, a lot of people do JUCOs and they play JUCOs just because I feel like they can. It's a little bit of recruiting too. You know, they yeah, get to kind of put exactly. eyes on some of those kids. Um, we haven't gone that route yet. Um, you know, Mar- Maryland academically is a really – that's the biggest challenge, if I'm honest with you, about recruiting junior college players is Maryland's such a good academic school and transfer credits. Yeah. Maryland thinks they're dang Harvard. So getting 48 transfer credits in is not the easiest thing in the world. You better get a kid that – every JUCO kid we've had has probably had to take six to six to nine credits the summer before to get in. And you Jesus. and I both know there's – there's some JUCO kids that are like, yeah, sure, I'm in. And some that are going to look at you and say, yeah, I'm, I'm out. Thanks. I'm not doing that. Yeah, because usually, I'll be honest. I mean, my last semester, I had uh, my classes were baseball, uh, coaching, uh, criminology, weightlifting, and bowling. That was my last yeah, semester. We, so I think we transfer. might go 0 for 5. <laughs> I think we're going 0 for 5 on getting those into school. 
That's just not gonna transfer. Juco is just the funniest. It's so it's so funny, man. I mean, some of the classes. I mean, I think I had to take like a class because my Canadian high school uh, math didn't wouldn't transfer, so I had to take high school algebra, which is high school kids in my junior college class. It was wild, man. (laughs) Juco is just. It's a whole nother beast, but I wanted to talk about Kevin Smith because obviously he left a pretty big imprint there. Obviously, I was at his debut with his family and stuff like that in Toronto, yeah. so it was a pretty uh, big honor for me as well, being his good buddy. But what was he like when he was there? Because, I, I mean, I've just heard legends and fairy tales about this guy, all-American freshman, all sure. that type of stuff. What was it like to kind of see it firsthand what Kevin Smith was like? Well, it's funny, man. When I recruited him, he was like this this little guy, and we were – I saw him at this off field up in New Jersey one day and, and I was like, man, that guy, he moves, right. He's just tiny. So I was like, let's get him to camp and see if he's any good. And he comes to camp and it's like the actions defensively were great. It was clean. It was smooth. He had arm strength, everything looked right, but he was like 150 pounds at the time. And I'm like, gosh, I, I don't know. Like I like, and then you get on, you start talking to him and you're like, gosh, this kid's awesome. There's no way this kid doesn't end up, being a good player. I don't think any of us knew he was going to turn into what he turned into, but knew he would be a good player. And he comes in year one and he, man, he had to go win the job. We didn't, we didn't say, Hey, this is yours. He beat out another kid and, and won the job really from what we thought is kind of defense first and shoot goes out his first year and is hitting homers and big spots and making plays. And the guy just isn't scared of the moment. And that's what made him really good. Even at a young age, he was, he was never afraid of the big moments. And and I think that's what he did through his whole career. Goes up to the Cape, wins the obviously wins the MVP of the yeah. championship series there at the end. But just watching him, like he was a professional even before he was good enough to be a professional. Just the way he carried himself, the way he went about his business. Um, you knew it was gonna be good, but gosh dang, he turned himself into a heck of a player. Yeah, and I gotta ask you about so obviously in, in here, uh in Canada, we have all like I feel bad for these parents that are not quite familiar with the game of baseball because they'll just get bombarded with emails about like showcase tournaments that their kids have to go to or stuff like that. Maybe you can kind of speak on that. Like I'm always under the opinion, if you're good, they'll find you that, that, Mm -hmm. that's how I roll. Like, obviously I wasn't, I went to like a, a a, a Juco in Nebraska for Christ's sakes, but if you're, (laughs) they will find you. What is your thought process on like these, showcase like these showcase babies where their parents feel obligated that they have to pay the shit ton of money to send their kid there it's just impossible to hide anymore 10 years ago maybe that's different you know like because now there there's just no hidden players anymore you know like between what pbr does and perfect game and all these there's just no players that that are just hidden under the radar that nobody knows about anymore yeah i mean i'd say there's one and dang 10,000 kids like that. So, you know, that is the case. And and I think it's very easy. You know, there, there's a huge difference when a kid calls you and you set up a phone call and you talk to the kid and you talk to him about, hey, coming to camp because you've been recruiting him and it gives him a chance to see campus and gives him a chance to interact with you. Like, there's a big difference then in that and the mass email that goes out of that you send to 30,000 campers to try to help pay your volunteer. You know, like, it's a huge difference. And Man, you have those you don't need to touch, you know, but the ones where they get in there with you and they've been recruiting you, it gives you, it really gives you a glimpse into who they are and how they coach. And if they're not showing you that at camp, that should tell you something. Uh, but the, there's so many of these tournaments that are, the, that are just outrageous. You know, some of these down in Atlanta now where there's 400 teams and they're watered down because there's some really elite teams, but there's some really terrible teams and you're trying to figure out how I can compare 
this kid against a guy throwing 71 miles an hour. Like, I don't know. He might, might not be any good, but he can hammer <laughs> 71. And so I think it's just a fine line. Like, I think, I think there's a lot of money grabs out there right now. And a lot of people making a lot of money and, and unfortunately parents just don't know, you know, they're none of the wiser to it, nor should they be because this is their really first time going through it. Yeah. I got a bone to pick with perfect game personally. I mean, I just, I had to deal with a lot of the tournaments there where the directors are obviously biased with like, they like they're, they're the, the people running the tournaments are the ones that are making the scouting reports or the ones that are like hyping up their own players and stuff like that, the coaches. So it is a really hard thing. So what's, what do you recommend recruits do to kind of get your attention? If someone wants to really attend Maryland, I'm assuming you probably get a million emails a day from kids that want to go there, but what do you recommend like a kid does if he wants to attend Maryland or just any stuff like that? I think the biggest thing is find some connection first, whether it's your coach, whether it's, a friend of your coach, whether it's something, because you're exactly right. I probably get, I mean, no short of 50 emails a day that are the stock email yeah. that's sent to every coach. And what I'll tell you, the, the worst thing you can do is not read your stock email you sent out because <laughs> I've gotten called Coach Backage. I've gotten called Orthos, and that that really hacks you off. I don't care if your kid's any good. Um, but I think the biggest thing, man, is is you have to somehow get in contact with them and find a way to do that. And then I think – very honestly, this is where those camps matter. Like so many parents would be so much better off. If you want to go to Tennessee, you, Tony Vitell is like the most popular human on the planet. He's a buddy of mine. But if you can't, you can't get a, a hold of Tony. Okay. That's fine. I'm going to go to camp and I'm going to, I'm going to be, and if you're good enough, they're going to hang out with you at camp. I can promise you that. But so many times their your money is so much better spent getting on their campuses and being around them and showing out in front of them than spending all this money to go to these crazy tournaments that what ends up happening is you don't even get seen because these fields are three hours away and you hit traffic and then there, and then it rains and all of a sudden you just spent this money and nobody ever saw you play. If you're on their campus in front of them and they're there and you're good, they'll see. And if they don't see, then they're lazy and you shouldn't go play for them because they're idiots. Like yeah. if you're going to put a camp on, like that's what it should be. And very honestly, we run, we run what we call team camps where we'll have – we'll bring in like eight teams and we get to be in the dugout with them and we're on the field with them and doing stuff with them. That is so much better bang for your buck than three grand to go down and, and travel all over and play terrible baseball and watch it rain in 110 degree weather. So how do you react with this uh, new like era, new wave of like younger kids that are like way more entitled than they were probably when you were coaching or playing? Cause I'm seeing now, man, I'm scrolling through YouTube and there's vlog channels of like these travel teams that post like these massive pregame during game vlogs where like you have all these 14, 15 year old kids in the limelight for the camera doing stupid shit on the field, like for click stuff like that. How do you react to that stuff, man? Because this new wave is crazy. Like just the oh, social yeah, yeah. media, the YouTube's everything. No doubt. You just don't recruit them. That's the biggest key. Just stay away from those guys. <laughs> I it, it, it just depends. Very honestly, you have to recruit to your culture. You have to recruit to who you are and how you want to coach and what you want. And there's a lot of college teams that kind of behave the same way. And it's like, if that's your style and you want to go, go roll with that and it works. But you put that kid in our program, he's going to get eaten alive really, really quick. And and I think that's where these phone calls with kids, when we talk to them, it's got to be so much less trying to convince them to come to Maryland and just trying to tell them, hey, this is who we are. This is how we do things. Either get on or get out, you know. And then you have to be okay with a talented kid that says, ah, it's not my thing. 
And you're just okay with that because there's plenty of kids out there. You just keep working and keep turning rocks over. There's plenty of kids out there that believe what you do. But I think we get we get caught with chasing only talent too much. And that might work at some levels, but I'm a firm believer in college. Super teams don't play. I think culture matters a heck of a lot more in college than than it might in some other levels. Yeah, I'm listen, I, I'm as more of the culture locker room guy of all time. I was the biggest locker room guy of all time. I just I think the sure. locker like I don't remember a lot of t- a lot of games from my junior college. I don't remember. I probably played over 100 games. I don't remember one game from my junior college career. I just remember some yeah. of the stupid fun shit we used to do in the like yep. in the bus or in the hotel or just like some funny memories just with the boys and stuff like that in the fall and stuff like that. So I do remember that, but I know a lot of D1 teams have, so we've had a couple guys from the university of Texas on this podcast and yep. they say they do a week call. I think it's called hell week where they don't have any logos on their gear. Like they have to earn the T they have to earn all that type of stuff. Do you guys do a hell week or do you guys do we- like have to earn the logo? We don't. We don't. And I know there's some really good teams that do shoot. Vanderbilt does it. And that's kind of been one of the standards of college baseball for a long time. There's a lot of a lot of teams that do. We don't. You know, I think shoot, when you when I recruit you to come here, you you've earned the right to be here. Now you better you better stay here. You're gonna have to earn the right to stay. But but we 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 just haven't done that. I, like I said, I know there's some elite programs that are probably a heck of a lot better than us that do. But again, I I'm almost one of those guys too, very honestly, when you get to know me, like if other people do it, I just don't want it. I don't care if it's a great idea. I don't like doing it. I don't want to do what other people do. I want to kind of do our own thing. And so I see it. I get it. That's just not us. We don't do that. I just think it's a lazy style of coaching, man. It just kind of, it, it, to be honest, it kind of makes, in as a player, it kind of just made me hate my coach where it's like, if you, listen, this might be a crazy take, but if my coach can't do triangles or can't do wind sprints or can't do any of this cardio stuff why is he making us do this stuff like that, <laughs> sure. that's what i'm saying like clearly he doesn't practice what he preaches with that type of stuff so why make me do it so that's like a, just like my take on that so in the fall sure. and stuff like that i know there's restrictions maybe you can kind of let the people like the listeners know like how many hours a week are these kids practicing or is there like loopholes in it where they could do like individual tri- how does that work yeah, so there's basically two segments of the fall. You have kind of non-championship and championship segments. So when you get 45 days in the fall to practice. So you depending on what your spring schedule looks like, for us this year we had 27 practices that we could do in a 45-day window. So in that window, we get them for 20 hours a week. So basically that's divided up. They have to get one off day a week. We get them for 20 hours. Yeah. Outside of that window, so for us about the first six weeks they're in school – like late August, early September, into the end of September, and then post. So like right before Thanksgiving, you're in kind of your individual period where we get them for eight hours a week. And in those eight hours, only four of them can be baseball-related activities. So think about that. And you have to give them two days off. This is why I want to coach at JUCO all the time because I'm like, I can do whatever the heck I want to do in junior college. Well, we used to coach four hours. We used to practice four hours, two hours weight training, two hours on the field every day. Oh, yeah. No doubt. And so, and and very honestly, our kids hate it, right? Like they came here and they're talented and, and they want to make money. They all come here because they think they can play in the big leagues. That's their goal. I have, I've never recruited one kid that's goal is not to play professional baseball. And so when you look at that, they're looking at it like, Hey, I'm coming here to get trained. I believe in this. I want to get trained by this coach. And the NCAA is creating rules that don't allow me to get trained. And Shoot, all it's going to take is one of them at some point, like everything's happening now, bring a lawsuit saying you're standing in my way of making money, and all of a sudden that might change. But 
they're so much driven by student athlete welfare and wanting days off. And I can certainly tell you none of my players want that, but that's how it plays. So I think for coaches, you have one of two options. Number one is you cheat, which some people do. They're just like, hey, whatever, I'll turn in four hours a week, but we're going to be out there for four hours a day. Or what we try to do is I say it all the time, man, our job, our biggest job is to make them their best coach. Like we got, we set the tone. We kind of give them the rudder. We give them the stuff. But if you think they're going to be prepared going for four hours a week, you're out of your mind. And so we try to give them a template that, that they can run off. I, you know, in those individual segments, they're not only be on the field with us for 45 minutes or an hour, kind of in smaller groups. But I can assure you that ain't the only thing they're doing. They're back. They're in there early. They're back at night. They're doing some of those different things. And so, you know, they're out there all the time. So um, it's unfortunate. I, I hate it. I wish we got more time with them. But but that's kind of the nature of the beast. And, I mean, I'm by nature a little bit more of a rule follower. So we don't we yeah. don't tow that line too much. I'm sure. It's just I couldn't imagine being at, like, Vandy or Florida or somewhere where it's warm all the time and having to, like, tell my players, like, or just yeah, I'm sorry, people. guys being limited to only practice a little bit of like four yeah. hours a week. That is wild though. Like eight no hours doubt. is really like, that's nothing. That well, is it's eight hours. Well, and four of those are weight room and four is space. So I only get them for four hours of baseball stuff. I can't even go more than four hours over the course of the entire week. And I have to give them two days off in that window. Jeez. And then they pass that thing. They pass another thing a couple of years ago that throughout the year, you say this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but throughout the year on top of all the mandatory days off, you have to find 14 additional days off to give them throughout the year. No. 14 extra days. Oh, yeah. So we're literally having to pull out our calendar and pull days here and there and find days that, that we can kind of sneak off days in because, shoot, that's, it's unbelievable. And, and it's, it's driven by a lot of sports that they want, they want the experience of being college students, not, not trying to become professionals at their sport. But they make rules, and and that kind of rules for all of us, which is that which is, is unfortunate. That is sick. I mean, oh yeah, I can't believe that. Like, so they pretty much kind of handcuff you guys and not uh, like allow you guys to coach, like just oh, for, no doubt. And luckily for us, very honestly, luckily for us this year, we have really good leadership again because there's days this this weekend like pitchers are trying to get on their routine, right? Like they're, they're throwing, especially our starters there, you know, they've got to get used to throwing off, right? We start our season in four weeks, so they've got to get accustomed to that. So there's literally times like this weekend that they're going to have a captain's practice. I basically, we have our captains and I said, all right, boys, you got to go out and run it because those guys have to throw us as coaches aren't allowed to be there. We can't do are anything. You, so we you can't, can't coach be them. anywhere in that facility. Are you guys getting trouble? If you're at the facility, it's it's considered a care activity, accountable activity. So you're not even allowed to be there. So I literally have to get with our catchers, get with our pitchers, and say, hey, here's who needs to throw. You guys go run it. And Damn. I had to set all that up with them this week. So just so that they can get on pace. So three weeks ain't enough time to get your guys ready. Yeah. So And we start February 17th. So those guys have to get on their routines now. And so they did it last weekend by themselves. They're doing it this weekend by themselves. And – you know, they can't by rule, they can't even report to us who's there and who's not. So you better have elite level leadership if your team's going to be prepared on February wow. 17th. That is why. Holy shit. That is wild to me. That's oh, yeah. Crazy. But uh, so a couple more things. So I've seen there's a lot of uh, stuff going around about like the paid assistance, paid assistance and stuff like that. Maybe you can kind of talk. Obviously, in Canada, we're not really quite familiar with what that means, stuff like that. But sure. what is that like? What what impact does that have on the game of college baseball? Because I do know there's probably coaches on a staff where it was like, um, 
they're not getting like they're working their ass off probably 40 50 hours a week and they're volunteers they're not getting mm-hmm. paid or anything like that so maybe you can kind of talk about that and go into that yeah no doubt and so you know what the NCAA basically came through and this is kind of on the heels of all the NIL stuff a couple of years ago you know where basically student athletes were saying hey the NCAA is standing in the way of us making money off our name image and likeness which Maybe I'm in the minority, but I think when when you start to see head coaches getting paid twelve million dollars a year, I think these kids should be getting something <laughs> out of it. Like this, just just the reality of it. Like we're good because our kids are good. So I'm all on board for that. And in the same vein, that's kind of what it is for these volunteers. So, uh, for instance, for me, I've got myself two paid assistant coaches and a volunteer assistant. Um, those are my those are my guys and. My volunteer literally has to find ways to make money because he doesn't get one dime from the school. No insurance, no anything. So every school does it different. You know, like some guys give lessons. Some guys have jobs and just show up to the yard, you know, for practice at one o'clock. For me, like the way we've done it here is we run camps and whatever we make in camps goes right into his pocket. I mean, we don't, we don't take a cut of it. Everything just goes straight to him. So that's why, and, and my volunteer is my pitching coach. So He's been with me for two years now. Like, he's a vital piece. So in order to get a guy like that, you better take care of him. And so what this is doing is those guys basically came forward and said exactly what you said. We're we're working 40 and 50 hours a week, and the NCAA is preventing us from making money. They're preventing us from doing that. So they basically came through this in this last wave here about a week or so ago and basically threw all that out the window and basically eliminated the volunteer and basically said, you can, you can now pay him. Wow. However much you choose. So schools have the option. It's all out. Schools have the option to say, hey, we can't afford it, you know, if they want to. And he can stay a volunteer, but the NCAA is not blocking him from making money. Whereas other schools will say, hey, I'll go give you that guy $200,000 and he'll be ready to rock. That's so, rock star shit. Uh, so it. you're going to see everything. But you're exactly right. Like, I think there's so many young coaches over the last 15 years that were forced out of the game because they had to make a living and they were good. They would have been great for our game but they just couldn't survive it because they had a family. And like I said, you have no insurance. You have no, you have no, like my, my, uh, my guy, my volunteer has a uh, six month old. Luckily his wife's a nurse and they have great insurance. So that's fine. That can work. But if you're, you know, if you don't have that situation, it's almost impossible. And at some point you're going to get pushed out. And I think that's been terrible for our game because we've lost some really good young coaches. So I, I was fired up. I mean, personally for us, it's going to be huge um, to allow allow him to to get that and take care of that, and and he's valuable to what we do. So it's going to be huge for me because otherwise, what happens too is he gets hired away from me, right? He's oh, doing yeah. a good job here, and now he's gone because they can pay and we can't. So yeah. that's going to be huge for us to be able to 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 get him paid and taken care of. And this this is a, this is the last second last question I have to ask you cuz I'm fascinated with just the dealing with the parents and all that type of stuff. No matter where you go, you have to deal with that shit. Maybe you could give us a little bit of a background story. Obviously we don't we're not we don't, obviously we're not going to name names stuff like that, but have you had a situation where a kid's parent got so bad with you that you had to kick them off the team? Or do you have any funny stories where a parent it just continues to just ridicule you, ridicule you, ridicule you about like playing time for their son? It's unbelievable, man. I say that all the time. That's when you recruit the kid, you recruit their parents. And we we literally about a year ago were recruiting a kid. The kid is supremely talented. He is very good. We we did a Zoom call with him. We're talking to him and his family. And one of the parents was an epic disaster. Was saying the most ludicrous stuff. 
was asking i'm all about questions and if you have dumb questions are fine yeah but i mean it was the it was some of the worst interactions i've ever had we got off that call and i said i told our coaches like we're done like i'm out like i'm not dealing with that i had a kid a couple years ago um that's a great kid, phenomenal kid who was a freshman, just wasn't ready to be good. Like most freshmen aren't ready to be good yet. And so, which is why half of them should go to Juco, but they don't. But kids on campus and he, you know, we do backyard recess type stuff all the time. We compete every day, but we'll go like, hey, you're a captain, you're a captain, you've got first pick, go. Yeah. And so it's one-on-one. So it's a little bit embarrassing when you're the last pick all the time. And But, hey, if you don't want to be the last pick, be better. Like give them a reason to pick you higher. And we're going through that. And I got a call from a parent said, I just don't think it's fair that my son keeps getting picked last. I said, well, that's fine. I said, frankly, (laughs) I would pick him last. And that doesn't have any – that's okay. Like, he's young and he's just not good yet, but he's going to be a great player. The guy's awesome. He's had a – he had a great, great career here. Ended up being awesome. He has no idea that phone call was ever had. But you just have to be – some of these things that that come out of their mouths, you're like – Gosh, like, and the worst thing ever is like, hey, don't don't tell him that I that I called you. Well, then yeah. don't call me. Like, don't call me then. Like, if we're <laughs> gonna talk about this stuff, let's bring him in. If he wants to come in and tell me, hey, coach, this is driving me nuts. I respect that, and I'll talk to that kid about that. But when mom and dad come in, especially when the kids are not wanting that to be a thing, gosh, dang, that's where that's the stuff that drives you nuts. I was lucky because my parents didn't give a shit. <laughs> like my parents went to. <laughs> My parents went to Colorado to watch me play. This is like this is why I was the fall American. I was the greatest fall hitter ever. I hit like <laughs> three fifty in the fall. Like I would just like we would play scrimmages against teams, and I would get pulled in like the fourth inning because he's like, "All right, I've seen enough." And then in the spring, yeah. I'd hit below my body weight, so I was fall <laughs> American. So I my parents came down to watch me play in Colorado, and I just didn't play. Like obviously, it's a long flight from Toronto to Colorado. Sure. And I was just like, honestly, like, just go and explore Colorado. I'm not sniffing yeah. field this weekend. <laughs> yeah. just, they're like, whatever. All right, cool. Let's just go. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just, I knew my role. And, like, some kids, nothing to this day pisses me off. And I do respect kids having aspirations, stuff like that. The kids and the parents that are <laughs> delusional that don't see the reality of situations where it's like, listen, I knew I shouldn't have played. I was hitting, like, 150, 160. Yep. It's the kids that are hitting 150, 160, and their parents think they're still the greatest player of all time oh, yeah. and that they should be oh, playing. Yeah. That's where it's the worst for me. Shoot, I had a – we had camp this weekend, and I give a talk in every camp, and I'm, t- I'm trying to tell these kids, I'm like, you have to have some self-awareness. Like, if you throw 74, you can't pitch here. If you can't hit and you are overweight or tiny or one of these things, you just can't play. And that's okay. But go to Juco and see if you can't play here or go to a D2, go to a D3, but be real with yourself. But that's to me, we talk about as a staff all the time, the biggest thing lacking when you, you were talking earlier about entitlement and kind of the softer, maybe kids that are coming up in some ways, really for me, the biggest thing I see is just a super lack of self-awareness for the fan, like awareness of, Hey, I'm just not good enough. And, and, and being able to acknowledge that and not necessarily accept it, but be okay. Like, Hey, I'm not there yet. Like, doesn't mean I'm not going to get there. Right. I just ain't there yet. I can't play at Maryland. I can't play at this school or I'm here, but I don't deserve, deserve to start yet. I'm going to keep working and I'm going to earn my way, but I'm not there yet. Like that is the biggest piece that's lacking with young people. 
Yeah. And I'm going to start the narrative, by the way, because I'm a Maryland guy now. I'm going to start the narrative that Michigan was scared to play you guys this year. Because uh, they're, <laughs> they're not on the schedules. So Shoot, start... we miss half of the dang Big Ten every year. We, we've got 13 teams, soon to be 15 when you add UCLA and USC in, and we only play eight conference weekends. I completely so we miss... forgot about that. I, I, oh, yeah. I, those California kids that are going to have to play in <laughs> Michigan in February and March and have, uh, and not be able to feel their hands, they might hit .050. Oh, they might hit half their body fantastic. weight down there. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> the coldest I've ever been is Ann Arbor, Michigan. I've never been colder. I told Eric that we played there in 2015. Mike Schworn pitched for us, who's a big leaguer. Jacob Cronenworth pitched for them, um, who's now a big leaguer with the Padres. Obviously, yeah. a position guy. Um we started that game. There was a doubleheader that day. We started the game, the first end of the doubleheader, and it was 22 with a real feel of 14. Jesus. You can't tell me those Southern California boys <laughs> no, know what's coming with They're going to hate their life. They're going <laughs> to, it's going to be miserable, especially with the football. Obviously, I that's mean, it. They're not going to be able to run the ball, smash mouth football. But I'm looking at our schedule this year, man. You guys got Ole Miss in Ole Miss. Holy oh, yeah. shit. You, I mean, oh, those fans are ruthless down there. Oh, man, it's going to be wild. We, um, we shoot. We just open up at USF and got West Virginia at home, and then go down to Ole Miss, Damn. play Delaware midweek, and then we go up to the Dome up in Minneapolis, and um, we play Van- or Ole Miss on Friday again. So we play four times in the first three weeks. Vanderbilt on Saturday, and then uh, and then Hawaii on Sunday. So it made you talk about last year's was a gauntlet. This one's going to be something. You else got, yeah, your guys through, are going through the ringer. I mean, that is. you know, I, and this is what I said when we started looking at that. We got a really veteran team, and I think they're mature and. You know, if you go out and you you play really well early, you really set yourself up for big-time, big-time things. And if you struggle a little bit early, this team's got the mental fortitude. They're tough enough. They're experienced enough to not let it knock them off the block. So, you know, with this team, I I trust them. I think their maturity will handle it good, bad, or indifferent. So, man, we're going to go throw it up against it and see what happens. Yeah, I'm pumped for you guys, man. Like I said, I'm a Maryland guy. I'm a ride or die. If any trolls come at you or your coaching staff on Twitter, I'll go back at them for you because I know you guys can't. So I got (laughs) you. But best of luck this year, Coach. Obviously, I mean, this is – we're getting close to that time. We're getting close to college baseball, and uh, it's going to be a gauntlet. So, I mean, the boys are going to be prepared for it. So keep doing your thing, man. Obviously, come let's let's go back-to-back one time. Let's let's get a back-to-back, Natty. Let's get back-to-back Big Ten. I'm in on that. Sounds like a plan to me. You got it. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you.